Welcome back to the MedBullet Step 1 podcast. In this episode, we go over the topic of rheumatic heart disease from the cardiovascular section on MedBullets.com. Let's start this episode with a clinical snapshot. A 25-year-old woman presents to her primary care physician's office for her annual physical. She recently immigrated from a developing country and reports having multiple episodes of pharyngitis in the past. On physical exam, there is a hollow systolic murmur at the apex. A follow-up echocardiogram shows mitral regurgitation concerning for rheumatic heart disease. Let's now get into the topic. Let's start with an introduction about rheumatic heart disease. In terms of a clinical definition, rheumatic heart disease is a consequence of rheumatic fever characterized by inflammation and scarring of the heart valves. In terms of the epidemiology and demographics, it is more common in females than in males. It is most common in developing nations. It is also the leading cause of pediatric heart disease. In terms of the location, it is more common in the mitral valve than the aortic valve and more common in the aortic valve than in the tricuspid valve. Note that it most commonly affects the high-pressure valves. In terms of risk factors, it is more common in places with poverty and overcrowding. Recurrent acute rheumatic fever is also a risk factor along with group A streptococcal pharyngitis. The etiology of rheumatic heart disease is at least one episode of acute rheumatic fever from group A streptococci. The pathogenesis involves cumulative inflammation and scarring of the heart valves resulting from an abnormal immune response to group A streptococci. It involves molecular mimicry between streptococcal M protein and cardiac proteins. This process involves cross-reaction of antibodies to streptococcal M protein with self-antigens and is immune-mediated or type 2 hypersensitivity. Note that the disease is characterized by early stage and late stage. In the early stage, you would see valve regurgitation, most commonly of the mitral valve. In the late stage, you would see valve stenosis, most commonly of the mitral valve. Note that mitral valve stenosis leads to increased end-diastolic left atrial pressure, which causes left atrial enlargement. Left atrial enlargement can manifest as atrial fibrillation or dysphagia. The main associated condition of rheumatic heart disease is rheumatic fever, which is characterized by Sydenham chorea, carditis, arthritis, erythema marginatum, and subcutaneous nodules. With respect to the prognosis, the early stage may last for years and may be asymptomatic. Note that the onset of symptoms usually occurs between 10 to 20 years after acute rheumatic fever. Let's now discuss the clinical presentation, including symptoms and physical exam findings of rheumatic heart disease. Symptoms include palpitations, which is most common, fatigue, and chest pain. In terms of physical exam findings, patients may present with dyspnea, and a cardiac exam would reveal either mitral regurgitation, mitral stenosis, aortic regurgitation, or aortic stenosis, or a combination of these. Mitral regurgitation would present with a hollow systolic murmur and may have a systolic thrill. Mitral stenosis would present with a diastolic murmur following an opening snap. Note that mitral stenosis is specific to rheumatic heart disease. Aortic regurgitation would present with early diastolic decrescendo murmur, and aortic stenosis would present with crescendo-decrescendo systolic ejection murmur. Let's now talk about the diagnostic imaging modalities used to diagnose rheumatic heart disease. The main diagnostic imaging modality is echocardiography. 
it is indicated when the murmur auscultated on examination is suspicious for rheumatic heart disease. It is used to confirm the diagnosis. In terms of findings, you would notice valvular abnormalities, including regurgitation or stenosis. Let's now discuss other studies used to diagnose rheumatic heart disease. Labs would show an increase in anti-streptolysin O or ASO titers. Histology would show ASCOF bodies, which are granulomas with giant cells on heart valves. In terms of making the diagnosis, the diagnosis is based on clinical presentation and confirmed with echocardiography. In terms of a differential diagnosis, the main differential you would want to keep in mind here would be infective endocarditis. The distinguishing factors for infective endocarditis are no association with group A streptococcal infection and other findings including Roth spots, Osler nodes, Janeway lesions, and splinter hemorrhages on the nail bed. There would also be vegetation seen on valves on imaging. Let's now discuss the treatment of rheumatic heart disease. In terms of the management approach, all patients with rheumatic heart disease should undergo prophylaxis with penicillin for years. This is to prevent recurrence or worsening of rheumatic heart disease. Treatment depends on the type and severity of valve involvement. Medical treatment involves penicillins and sulfadiazine. Penicillins are indicated for all patients in need of prophylaxis. Sulfadiazine is indicated for all patients in need of prophylaxis and if the patients are allergic to penicillin. Operative treatment involves valve repair or replacement. This is indicated depending on the type and severity of valve pathology. Modalities include surgical repair and percutaneous intervention. Complications of rheumatic heart disease include aortic regurgitation, cardiac arrhythmias, and heart failure. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. A 13-year-old girl is brought to the clinic by her parents for joint pain for the past four days. She reports a 6 out of 10 intermittent dull pain in her knees and ankles. The pain does not stay in one place, and over the past day, her right knee has become red and swollen. She endorses subjective fever and fatigue but denies chest pain, dizziness, abdominal pain, gastrointestinal signs, or urinary changes. Her past medical history is unremarkable except for an episode of sore throat three weeks ago. A physical examination demonstrates an erythematous swollen right knee that is tender upon palpation and skin findings on the upper left arm demonstrating annular red macules in a circular shape. What finding would you expect in this patient? 1. Increased anti-streptolysin O titers. 2. Positive anticyclic citrullinated peptide antibodies. 3. Positive anti-double-stranded DNA antibodies. 4. Presence of needle-shaped crystals under polarized light or 5. Purulent synovial fluid with WBC count of greater than 50,000 per cubic millimeter. And the correct answer choice is answer choice 1, increased anti-streptolysin O titers.
This patient likely has rheumatic fever as demonstrated by her migratory joint pain, erythema marginatum, and fever in the setting of recent Streptococcus pyogenes infection marked by sore throat. Patients with recent Strep pyogenes infection will have increased anti-streptolysin O titers. Remember, rheumatic fever is a systemic inflammatory disease believed to result from antibody cross-reactivity from Strep pyogenes infection. Patients often present with signs and symptoms of polyarthritis, carditis, subcutaneous nodules, erythema marginatum, and fever three to four weeks following initial infection. Diagnosis is made when two of the major criteria, for example, polyarthritis, carditis, subcutaneous nodules, erythema marginatum, and Sydenham chorea, or one major criteria plus two minor criteria, for example, fever, arthralgia, leukocytosis, abnormal ECG, or ESR or CRP are present with evidence of infection marked by elevated anti-streptolysin O titer or DNA ACE. The disease can be prevented by effectively treating strep throat with antibiotics. Let's now review the incorrect answer choices. Answer choice 2, positive anticyclic citrullinated peptide antibody is present in patients with rheumatoid arthritis which presents with symmetric arthritis of the small joints, for example fingers, that improves with use. It is more common in young adult females. Answer choice 3, positive anti-double-stranded DNA antibodies are present in patients with systemic lupus erythematosus or SLE which can also present with arthritis and rash. However, patients would also present with other signs and symptoms such as serositis, oral or nasopharyngeal ulcers, photosensitivity, and renal disease. Answer choice 4. Presence of needle-shaped crystals under polarized light describes gout, which is more common in older males. It presents with sudden onset of pain, most commonly at the metatarsophalangeal joint of the big toe. And finally, answer choice 5. Purulent synovial fluid with WBC count of greater than 50,000 per cubic millimeter describes septic arthritis, which can also present with a swollen, red, and painful joint. However, rheumatic fever may also present similarly, and this patient's other findings, for example, erythema marginatum, suggest rheumatic fever. In summary, increased anti-streptolysin O titers, along with the presence of other characteristic symptoms, for example, polyarthritis, carditis, subcutaneous nodules, erythema marginatum, and Sydenham chorea indicate rheumatic fever. Next question. A nine-year-old male visited his primary care physician for a checkup three months after a throat infection. Upon examination, the patient exhibits painless subcutaneous nodules on the back of the wrist, the outside elbow, and the front of the knees, as well as inflammation in the joints of the lower extremities. Which of the following symptoms is most likely to also be present in this patient? 1. Renal failure 2. Hepatomegaly 3. Chorea 4. Pleural effusion or 5. Butterfly rash And the correct answer choice is answer choice 3. Chorea the clinical picture of polyarthritis of the lower extremities and subcutaneous nodules following a pharyngitis is consistent with rheumatic fever. Rheumatic fever may result in Sydenham's chorea, a characteristic series of rapid, purposeless movements of the face and arms. 
Remember, Sydenhem's chorea typically occurs two to three months after a group A beta hemolytic streptococcal or GAS throat infection and is reported to occur in 20 to 30 percent of patients with acute rheumatic fever. It is postulated that this chorea occurs as a result of an autoimmune cross-reaction between GAS antigen and cells within the basal ganglia. Additional clinical manifestations of rheumatic fever include carditis, arthritis, erythema marginatum, and subcutaneous nodules. Let's now review two citations related to this topic. In the first citation, Armstrong emphasizes that while the overall incidence of acute rheumatic fever is low in the U.S., it, along with rheumatic heart disease, is the leading cause of cardiovascular death during the first five decades of life in developing countries. Rheumatic fever can be prevented with adequate antimicrobial therapy for GAS pharyngitis. Intramuscular penicillin G benzathine, oral penicillin V potassium, and oral amoxicillin are recommended agents for individuals without penicillin allergy. In the second citation, Zamorati and Wald, in a retrospective chart review in an area endemic for acute rheumatic fever, noted that 99% of 53 children who presented with chorea and were tested were found to have an antecedent GAS infection documented. For most patients, the condition was self-limiting within 6 to 12 weeks. Let's now review the incorrect answer choices. Answer choice 1, renal failure, may result from post-streptococcal glomerulonephritis, but this clinical picture is more consistent with rheumatic fever and the associated conditions. Answer choices 2 and 4 are incorrect because hepatomegaly and pleural effusions are not complications of rheumatic fever or related to group A strep pharyngitis. And finally, answer choice 5, a malar or butterfly rash is a component of systemic lupus erythematosus. It is not related to infection with group A strep. And that's all for this review about rheumatic heart disease. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 1 podcast, a daily audio review session by MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on MedBullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the MedBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from these MedBullet Step 1 podcasts so far, please consider leaving us a 5-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you are not already, be sure to follow MedBullets on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the MedBullet Step 1 podcast.